I would invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Galatians chapter 5. And if you have one of those little ribbons for your Bible, you can just uh, put it there because we're going to be there every week. Before we launch into looking at the first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, I want you to consider the whole concept of fruit. And so I have with me an orange to help you understand this concept of fruit. Uh, the orange is a citrus fruit, from the, and I chose this as an illustration today because it seems to help us in understanding the fact that we are dealing with the fruit singular of the Spirit. It is not only a misnomer, it is not biblically correct to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. There's one fruit, many aspects. One orange, many aspects. Now, most of us, we see the orange, and I'm not going to get messy up here today, but you, know, you see the orange and you go, oh, let's peel it open and get to the stuff inside. If you do that, you miss some important aspects of the orange. You see, you can take a scraper and you can scrape the, the peel of the orange, and we call that zest, and, and you can put that in a, in a beverage or in a, in a dish, and it gives it a little bit of a tang. You can peel the orange and you can take the peel and you can also put that in a beverage and it'll just give it a little bit of extra oomph. I even read where you can peel the orange, put the peel in boiling water and boil it for a while and, and then let it cool, pull the peel out and now you have a, a natural cleanser. We haven't even gotten into the orange yet. But if you hold it with the, uh, the this is a navel orange so there's no seeds imported from Chile, you hold it this way and you slice it, now you can juice it. And you can have that great fresh orange juice. But if you do peel it, now you have sections. Sections of the orange and, and you can enjoy those sections and they're sweet and they're tangy. And, and when you eat that orange, you, you get vitamin C. You get calcium, potassium, vitamin B1. And with the sections, you can actually eat one and share one with a friend. You know, an orange goes with certain things. I kind of like the orange by itself. My wife thinks oranges with, uh, covered with dark chocolate are just like to die for, and, and she gets to keep that. I'll, I'll eat the dark chocolate, and she can have the orange inside. But when we talk about the fruit of the orange, we, we talk about a piece of fruit that has many aspects. So when we talk about the fruit singular of the Spirit... It's one fruit with many aspects. Uh, a second thing to bear in mind is the source. The source of the orange is the orange tree. Uh, some people have orange trees in their backyard. My father-in-law and, and uh, mother-in-law, stepmother-in-law, had an orange tree in their backyard in Arizona. Uh, different people do that. Most of the times the oranges we get are grown in great big groves of orange trees. No matter how it's grown, whether it's in the backyard or in an orange grove, there is only one source of the orange, and it's the orange tree. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The source of the fruit is the Spirit. And in the Bible, when the, when the definite pronoun is used, the Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is the source of the fruit and of the aspects of the fruit we're going to talk about. 
The fruit we're going to talk about over the next few weeks has nine different aspects that we will delve into. And, and yet all of those aspects come from the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And when I think about that, first of all, some people say, well, does that mean that people who don't follow Christ just don't have any love or any of that? No, not at all. Remember, we're all created in the image of God. Therefore, we all, whether we follow Jesus or not, we all have aspects of who God is as part of our lives. And yet, when I think about it from a standpoint of one who follows Jesus, I'm humbled. I am humbled to know that God has made these nine characteristics available to me. You see, if I take God out of the equation, then I can get very proud and, and kind of attribute to myself that I'm the source of these things. But the Bible says, no, I'm not the source. Whether I believe in God or not, the, the goodness in me still comes from the fact that God made me in his image. And, and, and I'm reminded, too, that the Spirit gives me the raw materials and that I learn to develop these characteristics in community. It's in community, and we'll see throughout this series, it's in community that I learn more about what it means, say, for today, to love. I'm also reminded that when I work to live out or incorporate these characteristics into my life, I'm reflecting the character of God as he helps me grow. There is a great sense of contentment and satisfaction when you and I learn to depend on the Holy Spirit to help us be reflectors of who God is in our lives. So keep those things in mind. Now, as I've already said several times, the first characteristic is love. And I'm convinced that, and there's, there's a lot of evidence out there, in lists in Scripture, sometimes the thing that's mentioned first is mentioned that way because it carries some primary importance. You see, I'm convinced that love is mentioned first in the nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit because love is the one characteristic from which the others flow. Let me show you a little experiment. You're in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I want you to stay there. But I want you to read along as I go back and read just from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And there's not direct one-to-one -one correspondence, but you'll see correspondence. It's really interesting. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8, you just follow along in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Some of the parallels that are there between God's definition of love from the pen of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 and Paul's definition of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. We need to understand when it comes to the idea of love that we are limited in our English language. We use love for everything. I love my wife. 
but not in the same way that I love smoked meats from my smoker. And I love smoked meats in my smoker, but not quite in the same way that I love my truck. And yet I don't love my truck in the same way that I love the Kansas City Chiefs. We use love, we, we have one word and we use it in so many ways. I love New York or I love Chicago or, you know, and, and, and we, and, and so we're kind of limited in our understanding. And, and I'm not going to get too deep into it, but you need to know in the Greek language from which we get our New Testament, they had four different words for love and each one sort of described a different thing. The, the two that are most common in the Bible are separate yet sometimes together. Uh, I don't do this often, but I need to kind of help you out here. The first word that we find is the word eros. We get our word erotic from it. It is, deals with physical and sensual love. And interestingly enough, why the concept of physical and sensual love is, through, is in, the, in the Bible, this word is never used in the New Testament. The second word is a word, it's, called, it's the word storge. It's kind of a weird-sounding word. It's a word that's most often used for familial love. It's only used in a form once in the entire New Testament. We saw it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 when we went through that. And, it's, and Paul says, be devoted. And that is the word for brotherly love and the word for familial love put together. Be devoted to one another in love. And that word love is the, next, is the third word. So we have eros, we have storge, then we have a word called phileo. It's typically the word that people talk about for brotherly love. The, there's a, a city in the United States in Pennsylvania called Philadelphia. It translates brotherly love. Now, I've never been to Philadelphia, but people that have been there said that really doesn't describe Philadelphia, but it's brotherly love, and, and that's typically a good definition. But within the New Testament, sometimes phileo, the brotherly love, is used synonymously with the fourth word, agape. Agape is most often used in the New Testament to describe God's love for us and our love for God and our love for others in obedience to God. And when we see it used for God's love for us, we discover that it's a choice that God made. It's a choice that God made based on nothing we've done to merit that choice. I call it God-sourced love. 1 John 4.19 puts that in perspective for us. We love because he first loved us. God sourced love. It's that which moved God to create us. It's that which moved God to redeem us through Jesus Christ. God sourced love compels us to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And, and then compels us to love our neighbor as ourselves. It, it's God sourced love that reminds us that he initiated love. And the first characteristic of the product that comes from the Spirit to our lives is God-sourced love. I want to leave you today with several ways to understand God-sourced love. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to look 
at how it's used in Galatians, and then we'll pull in a couple other passages. And I want you to bear in mind that the qualities that we have, the qualities of love that we're going to talk about are qualities that are be reflected in each of our lives. No matter who you are, young or old, male or female, no matter who you are, you, we each are to be making at a point to develop these qualities in our lives. It's like infusing the fruit of the Spirit into our lives. The first thing that stands out is this. God-sourced love is a choice. God-sourced love is a choice. In other words, it's not an obligation. In Galatians chapter 2, in verse 19, Paul writes this. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says there's this transformation that took place in my life. And it's a transformation not based on the law. It's a transformation based on the source of the faith in the Son of God who loved me and chose to give himself for me. You say, where did Jesus choose to do that? Well, if you go back to John chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus says this, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Later this morning, we're going to partake of communion. And, and we're going to take a minute to think about some of the great truths bound up in 1 John 4. One of the statements that John makes in 1 John 4 that I find a very powerful statement is this. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's not that we loved God and earned his love. He loved us. And then he made a choice to send Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I've quoted it before. I'll say it again. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. God loved us and then he acted. All that God has done for us from creation to redemption to one day returning, Jesus coming back to set everything right, is based on divine choices motivated by God's love. God-sourced love is a choice, not an obligation. When we truly love, we love because we choose to. It is human nature to want your love to be returned. But when you show, or when someone reminds you, and maybe you've been in that situation where someone has reminded you what they've done for you because they love you. Underneath that is an implication. I did this because I loved you. And there's an implication, you owe me. But that's not God-sourced love. When, when I am reminded that I owe somebody because of something I thought they chose to do for me out of love, then 
that becomes a human contract that obligates reciprocation. When a loving act toward another is a choice requiring nothing in return, then a person is free to respond, but not obligated to. And you know what? God loves you and me so much that he doesn't force us into a response. And actually what he wants us to do is to just choose to reflect his love by loving our neighbor as ourself. God-sourced love is a choice. It's not an obligation. God-sourced love gives. It doesn't take. God-sourced love gives. We're in Galatians 5. Go back to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Couple that with John 3.16. One of the most familiar verses. One of the ones that we learn the most. My own dad, when he was a little kid in the hills of southeastern Kentucky, there was a, a group called the Kentucky Mountain Mission. And they would send people into the schools to teach Bible classes. This was in the 19 early 30s. And uh, he, he would tell me that the first verse he ever learned, and he worked hard to learn it so he could get a stick of juicy fruit gum, was, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives instead of takes. Paul says, and we talked about it a lot last week, when you and I use our freedom, the freedom we have in Christ to indulge, or as we saw last week, to be the starting point of living for ourselves, then we are takers. We are not givers. We take from others to bless ourselves. God-sourced love gives. Now, Now this part of love is going to be very closely tied to what we're going to look in a moment. But for a moment... Just focus on the giving aspect of love. Let's look at it from the negative side. Love, air quotes, love that takes is a betrayal. Love that takes is life-draining. Love that takes is untrustworthy. Love that takes is suffocating. Love that takes enslaves love that takes tries to buy affection what's a giving love if god's sourced love is a giving love love that gives is selfless a giving love blesses others a giving love encourages a giving love reflects grace a giving love actually strengthens another person A giving love is trustworthy. You can count on it. A giving love frees. A giving love shows true affection. God-sourced love gives. It doesn't take. Coupled closely with that is this characteristic. God-sourced love is outward-focused. 
God-sourced love is outward-focused. It's not self-absorbed. We're still in Galatians 5, verse 14. For the entire law. Now, think about that statement. When Paul says that, he's referencing all of Exodus, all of Leviticus, all of Deuteronomy. The entire law is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That verse comes from the center of Levit- from Leviticus 19.18. And it's wrapped up in all kinds of ways that we're to, that God said this is how you're to live in community. But the, the summary statement that is not didn't originate with Paul, it's God's words in Leviticus 19.18 to Moses. Jesus reiterated it in Matthew. And now Paul says the whole law... And remember, the Galatians were getting drawn back into, you've got to follow the law if you're going to follow Jesus. And Paul says, absolutely not. The entire law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Indulging the flesh is self-absorbed living. God-sourced love is outward-focused. An outward-focused love is truly a faith step. Because when you have an outward-focused love, you are trusting God to make sure your needs are met as you meet the needs of others, be they emotional or mental or social or physical. It's outward-focused. Now, I realize I've heard it before. People will say, well, I really can't love others until I learn to love myself. On the one hand, I understand what's being said there. I know. I've been around long enough to know that people have had experiences. They've been told messages about how bad they are. Folks have been told how they're failures, how they'll never match up. You'll never amount to anything. Even if it wasn't told directly, there's always kind of that reminder that you're just not You haven't quite arrived yet. I've had that in my own life. I've had to deal with that. Uh, And so I I, I get all of that. And those messages are deeply painful and they're harmful and they can be debilitating. And yet, the fact that we work hard to protect ourselves from those messages or try to eliminate those messages from our lives or try to prove them wrong makes the point that Deep down, there is still a, a love of self. There is still a love I, I, of, of who I am. And the idea behind this command is treat others, regardless of who they are, as you would truly want to be treated yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Show respect because you desire to be respected. Show kindness because you enjoy kindness. Help where you can. Remember, giving and now outward-focused love is that step of faith. When you give, you're trusting God to heal those wounds. When you have outward focus, you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you to heal the wounds of my past so that I can be more fully alive for you. You see, the truth about God-sourced love is that we serve a God who knows more than we each really want to admit that we're all wounded helpers. Outward-focused love is proactive. 
Listen to what the, these words from 1 John 3. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. John 3, 1 John 3, 17 and 18. You see, if I see somebody in need and I have the means to come alongside and maybe help them in that need, then an outward-focused love says, I do what I can. But if I see somebody in need and I don't even feel for them, I may not have the means. Uh, you know, uh, we, maybe like you, we've watched the, the, the continual coverage from Maui. And my heart breaks. It does. It breaks for those people who, who don't even know how they're going to make their next step. And I, I was reminded the other day, their house may be burned out, but they still have a mortgage. And they still got to pay it. And it's just, oh, man. And, and, and you know, I, I can give my little pittance, and, and it will help. I know that. But if I don't even care, if I don't, then how would the love of God be in me if I don't even have pity on them? You know, when you and I don't express our love by helping others, we actually cheapen the love of God because when our words are just words of love. Oh, I feel bad for you. Be warm, be blessed, and we do nothing about it. But let me remind you of something else when we think about God-focused love and outward-focused if you got the email this week and you listened to the playlist, you knew that I threw in my personal bonus on the final one. Uh, this is the 50th anniversary, I just can't even imagine I'm that old, of, uh, or they can't imagine they're old, of probably my favorite Christian group out there, group Petra. And uh, they had a song on their album called Love, that was the name of it, and it goes through these characteristics in 1 Corinthians 13. But then the chorus says, love knows when to let go. Love knows when to say no. Don't hear me say today that an outward-focused love is just a permissive love, that a love that gives is just a permissive love. You know, I remember being in a uh, marriage and family class talking about parenting and and our professor drew a, a grid on the board and he said as a parent there are four different ways that you can answer a fundamental question that children have when they come into this world children come into this world and they're asking inherently two questions do you love me can i get my own way and on the board, he said, you know, you can answer that question. Yes, I love you. Yes, you can have your own way. And that leads to one direction. He said, some kids here, no, I don't love you. And no, you can't have your own way. And those are typically neglected or abused children. Some, children, some parents say, uh, no, I don't love you. But yeah, you can have your own way. You can do whatever you want. He said, the balance of parenting is, yes, I love you. No, you can't have your own. And, and, and so understand that. Love knows when to say no. It's not just a permissive love. A God-sourced love is outward focus. It corrects in such a way that it helps another be better. 
And in fact, that's the essence of why we have the book of Galatians here. Paul is writing to the Galatians and saying, I love you people. I love you so much that I can't let you keep going in the way that you're going. My wife often quotes a book that we read many, 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 many years ago, probably about 43 years ago to be exact, a year before we got married. And the title was Caring Enough to Confront. An outward-focused love says, I love you so much when I see you going in the wrong direction. I love you so much. We're going to have a conversation, and I'm going to walk with you through correction. Paul cared enough to confront the Galatians because he had an outward-focused love, an outward-focused love that wasn't self-absorbed. It was for the people there. There's a fourth aspect, and I realize this is not exhaustive, but time is fleeting. God-sourced love is honoring. God-sourced love is honoring, not shaming. When I thought about that, I, my, my mind was directly drawn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Listen, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I believe this is a detailed description of love and actions. And action, it begins with all that God has given us, and it flows outward. And if you read on in Philippians chapter 2, you would see that the primary example is Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to hold on to, but made himself nothing and went to the cross for your sins and mine. Notice the consistency of the Apostle Paul. Even though he uses different words, he's talking about the results that come when we exercise all the love that God has chosen to give us in a way that promotes the unity of the body. Note that we are not to be selfish or conceited, but humble as we value, literally give high regard to others first, and also look to pay attention to their needs, to their interests. In a word, Paul's talking about honoring others. God-sourced love honors. It values others. In Philippians, the, the, the people in the body of Christ are to be valued simply because they're part of the body of Christ. You see, we're to value others. We're to honor others simply because they're here. We're to honor others simply because we are in community with them. The late Gary Smalley used to talk about how he would walk into the TV room and his teenager would be sitting there watching TV and he would go, oh, how amazing that I get to be in your presence. I am so blessed to be in your presence right now. I, I am, I just, it, you are so highly valued and, and that you will let me be here with you. Dad, please. But, but in that illustration, he's saying we ought to feel that way. That idea of I get to be with you. 
We had several of us around the campfire on Friday night, and it was just great. It was great to be together, to talk, to laugh, to, to roast hot dogs, and, and just, to, just to connect. And, 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 and you know, it was, it was an honoring time. We honor and value people not because of their accomplishments or achievements or whatever they bring to the table that matters. It's simply we honor them because they are. To value and regard others above oneself is a god source love. That doesn't mean I, I neglect my needs. It doesn't mean I, I neglect myself. It means I balance it out. To shame another, which I believe is the opposite of honor, is to make them feel lesser, to make them feel inadequate, to make them feel that they aren't as valued. And you know what? We can do that without even thinking about it. I know in my own life, I have been personally challenged to be careful of my tone because my tone can be shaming. Here, here's a way. This is a way that we put ourselves first that the casual observer may not get. Someone says to me, oh, wow, that is very interesting. I didn't know that was in the Bible. Really? Come on! Everybody, that's, this is basic Christianity one-on-one. -on -one. Seriously? You didn't know that was in the Bible? How do you feel right now? What I should say is, that is so cool. I am so glad to see you discovering things in the Bible. That is so great. Love honors in simple ways. Love honors honors it doesn't shame god's source love builds up and celebrates others just because they are there's so much more i could say but i know that we all have a saturation point so what do we do with all this what do we do with these characteristics we we have a few Descriptions now of God's source love. Uh, we know that it's a core characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. We know this is God, who God wants us to be. What do we do? Well, let me tell you first. Just breathe. Just relax. You see, God doesn't give us any teaching in Scripture that He's not already committed to helping us follow. God is already on your side. If you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is already indwelling you. So I would say simply, one, ask God to show you and to affirm in you where you are showing God-sourced love. And then keep doing those things and keep developing that mindset. But at the same time, in humility, ask God to show you where you need to change. I've said it ad infinitum in that little prayer that comes from Evelyn Christensen, I believe. Lord, change me. Lord, help me not to be inadvertently shaming. It's even worse to be advertently shaming, but Lord, help me to not be that way. Lord, help me to celebrate people as they learn the scriptures. Lord, help me to celebrate the, the, the little victories in people's lives. Lord, change me. Lord, show me where I need to develop more God-sourced love in my life. And Lord, bring people into my life in this community who can walk with me and model for me and help me show God-sourced love. 
And that brings me to the final thing. So breathe, relax, ask God to help you, to show you, to affirm you, to encourage you, and then you're not alone. Remember that. We all, every one of us, if we're honest, we've all exercised self-focused love in one way, shape, or form. We, all of us, if we're honest, have been the subject of someone else's self-focused love. And that's why we need community. We need each other. We need to share our stories so that we can celebrate. We need to share our stories so we can comfort. We need to share our stories so we can together help one another develop the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is a God-sourced love. A love that is a choice. A love that gives. A love that is outward-focused. And a love that honors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for these reminders in your word this morning. Lord, Protect us from taking your word lightly. Protect us from saying, yeah, I got this one. Let's go to the next. But also, Lord, protect us from beating ourselves up. Because you're a God that loves us so much that you forgive us, that you give us grace, that you are all the characteristics we'll look at, you already are. You are a God of patience and kindness. You're a God of forbearance. And so, Lord, in our love for you, may we learn to love others in a way that reflects you. Teach us, correct us, guide us, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.